Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk joining you on a Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our service men and women out there taking care of us. I want to thank our sponsors over at Strange Brew Coffeehouse and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Hot, cold, whatever the weather wants to be. Rainy, sunny, humid, whatever it is. There's a drink for all seasons at Strange Brew Coffeehouse. Head over to the drive-thru there on Highway 12, the walk-up window over on University Drive, or just step inside, sit down, enjoy some music that Robbie and I would probably be like, what is this? We don't know what this is. But you might like it. They play hipster music in there. Hipster is a, is a strong word. It's a strong word. Okay. What what kind of music are we talking? I don't know. I don't know. The music when you I'm walk into Abercrombie and Fitch. Okay. I've never walked into an Abercrombie and Fitch because Th- why? Do those still exist? They still exist, but like, why would I go in there? Do you think there's anything over XL on the shelves there? I walked into a, to a mall the other day in Nashville, the Opry Mall. There is still a Hollister, but there's no cologne that knocks you down when you walk into the the front door. I, don't know I walked in, I was like, oh, I missed the cologne, so, just slapping me in the face. I had a long debate with some friends of mine. They thought it was creepy that I went to buy my kids something from Hot Topic. There's nothing wrong with that. I went That's to, what I'm saying. We I went to Hot Top Hot Topic and bought like three shirts the They're, other day. And again, the they don't have my size, but they had shirts I would wear there. But yeah, I made the comments like I look like a fish out of water. Right? I'm in Hot Topic with all this like goth stuff, and they're playing death metal, and I'm wearing a khaki <laughs> khaki shorts and a blue polo, and I'm just looking around like, yeah, what Demon Slayer stuff? Do you have that? I, I, do you have that? My my daughter's a big anime fan, and so they're trying to give me grief. Like I'm like. Sorry for be- getting my kids gifts. Sorry. Demon Slayer is an anime? <laughs> it's an anime. I don't know. I don't watch anime. I don't know anything about it, but my, my kids do. What that has to do with coffee, I don't know. Sorry to they- mess up your, your the front end of the <laughs> no, show for I you. I promise you. It's not the first time. It's not the first time. <laughs> College Corner, I've got a giveaway we're going to do next week for you dads. We've got three MSU Bulldog Dad t-shirts we're going to give away next week. So we're going to have three winners on our College Corner giveaway if you're not the lucky winner, well, then you can always go to College Corner, two locations to serve you in Jackson, Ridgeland by Fleet Feet, followed by the Half Shell, or you can shop online at collegecornerstore.com. Get your Father's Day gifts taken care of with College Corner. Humble Taco is going to be hopping this weekend. We're supposed to have some good weather, it looks like, uh, for the regional, and that means the patio will be buzzing. Head out there to enjoy Mexican fare with Mississippi Roots, your Southern Classics turned into Mexican Classics, a unique menu unlike any you've ever seen at a Mexican restaurant or just about anywhere else. You know when Ty Timms is involved, the food is going to be good, and it's going to be an experience you'll remember. So head over to Humble Taco, Starkville's newest and best Mexican restaurant. It is, gosh, like 48 to 72 hours away, depending on when you listen, uh, from Super Regional Baseball. So Robbie and I thought that would be the perfect t- time to have a show entirely dedicated to football. Entirely yes. dedicated to it. It's always it's always time to talk football yeah. in Mississippi. Yeah, so. uh, I don't disagree with that. You can never, you will never not get me to want to talk about college football. Uh, although someone was angry at me the other day because I, I started doing my stories when I do my hundred day countdown. Yeah, yeah, football saw season. that. Guy was mad because I wasn't showing respect to baseball season, and I wrote like two baseball stories that day. I, speaking of things like that. Did we ever get clarification on why Lamonis was a creep? No. The guy just said he shouldn't be drinking at this point in the day. I, I agree I with that. I, I agree I, with that. I don't know where that came from. The only thing that I can decipher from that that could possibly be mm-hmm. what the guy was talking about is that he thought Andy Canizero was after Gary Henderson, no, no. which was the, 
Another huge Bulldog fan. That the only know. reason that Gary Henderson was the interim coach is because of Andy Candace Hero. Yes, I, 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 I so, know. I know that. You knew that. Every day is a new adventure on Twitter, whether it be with a State fan yeah. or an Ole Miss fan or a Vandy fan or a South Carolina women's basketball fan. We, it takes all kinds. So, so here's what we've got for today. Uh, for tomorrow's show, we will do a full preview of Mississippi State Notre Dame, including an interview with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Patrick Engel, uh, who gives a really good preview of what the Fighting Irish are going to bring. But we're going to do football today, and we're going to start with opponent previews. And, and if you if you're a longtime listener. Uh, to any podcast I've been on, you know that my my plan for this is we always start at the end and we work our way to week one. So that on week one, we're talking about the week one opponent. And that means we get to start with the Egg Bowl. Egg Bowl in June, regardless of what my my guest is going to say, it's never too early to talk about the Egg Bowl. Let's just talk about what happened last year in Oxford. You know, Mississippi State went up there, obviously not at full strength, not anywhere close to it. And I don't know about you, you, you were covering the game with me there. Ole Miss was up 14 nothing, and I think the state people in the press box were looking around going, going to be a long day for the Bulldogs. And in reality, that turnover that happens uh, in the first quarter, where Austin Williams re- reaches the ball out and it gets stripped by Tylen Knight, is the difference in the game. State played score for score with Ole Miss after that, had the ball with a chance to tie the game uh, on the final drive, and just ran out of time. You know, I'm not saying they would have scored or not, but the, the clock ran out on them. Will Rod, as good a day as Matt Corral had in that game, Will Rogers set a new single Egg Bowl game passing record, 440 yards in that game. That he was really, he really looked sharp. And I left that game thinking, and I, I'm not a big fan of the what ifs, and I'm not a big fan of, of this, that, and the other. But I, I left that game thinking, if State had been at full strength defensively, and I'm not even talking about the, you know, the people who were opted out for good. I'm not talking about Pickering and Marcus. But I'm just saying if Jordan Davis could have played. If uh, who, there was another linebacker out, I forget who it was, but if they had been at full strength, it may have been. I don't think it was Tyrus Wheat, but it may have been. I can't remember. So many guys yeah, I can't out remember of that either. You know, I mean, you had Landon Gidry out there trying to cover Elijah Moore, and and I give Landon Gidry a ton of credit. After the game, he's like, "Hey, I I messed up," and I, you know, that's a that's a big man to say that. But I got the feeling that if State had been at full strength, or what they were were against Georgia or what they were against uh, Auburn the week after that, they had a chance to win that football game. And that speaks to something because I thought Ole Miss was a much better team than Mississippi State last year. I don't even think they even had to be at full strength. I think that they could have won that ball game if Austin Williams Just scores a touchdown. Yeah. And that's not to blame the ball game on him. That I don't, I don't. He doesn't even have to score on that play. Right. Just don't fumble. And State's still going to get in. Because that was a 14-point swing yeah. right there. You go from... You're about to score a touchdown. It's about to be seven to seven, to fumbling the ball on the goal line on what was going to be a touchdown, and Ole Miss running it back inside the five or whatever they did, and scoring a touchdown after that. And you know it, it was good on State to to kind of regroup there and defensively they they started to get some stops here and there. Offensively they were moving the ball well. They started scoring, but that was you you can't get 14 points behind. Ole Miss uh, with the way that their offense was rolling there with Elijah Moore, Matt Corral, and those guys. So the State dug themselves in a hole that they couldn't get out of. But I think those teams were – I don't know if I don't know if even's the right word because Mississippi State, from a, from a talent perspective and kind of where the roster was at the time, was a little behind Ole Miss. But mm-hmm. just from, you know, energy and – being in that ball game, I feel like those two teams were were pretty close as the game progressed from there. 
and you know state actually outscored them after going down 14 nothing so that play really was the deciding factor in my mind of how that game would turn out but uh you're right i mean there were a lot of guys defensively that were out of that ball game and state was really just outmatched at the skill position spots but uh, we also saw some guys really continue to emerge, like mm-hmm. Jaden Wally and Will Rogers, that had a huge ball. Games. I left that game thinking Jaquarius Spivey was going to be a part of things going forward. Obviously, he's yeah. he's gone now to Arizona State. And Javante Payton went out, and he's gone now too. But yeah. he went out on the first possession. Yeah. He got hurt. Yeah. So that was a big loss. That was one of your top receivers. You had a ton of walk-ons playing. Sherman Timms played a lot. Jay Jeminson played a lot in that game. Um, There's another safety in there that played. I mean, they just. It just wasn't meant to be that day for Mississippi State, no question. Um, I always judge games that I, that are toss-ups. I have a system. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I will now detail it if you've never listened before. If you have a game that where there's a toss-up, I'll always look at three things. Better coach, better quarterback, where are we playing? So when you look at this year's Egg Bowl, where you're playing, obviously, is Starkville, so advantage Mississippi State. Better quarterback, uh, there's really no question. It, it is Matt Corral. Matt Corral is the better quarterback. Then, it, you know, better coach. Is there anything one way or the other for these two guys, or is this just sort of a dead heat for you? Uh, going into this season, yeah. You know, or just, or just overall, Kiffin versus Leach. I like I like Kiffin better from a play calling standpoint, and mm-hmm. just I I just. As a guy that kind of likes a little more balance, I like that offense a little better. I think it's more dangerous in this league. But you cannot discount, you know, what Mike Leach has done over the years. And it, it just seems like he always has that ball game that he's not supposed to win that he wins. Right. Um, you and know, I don't necessarily know that that's this, this game. Right. This game is a toss-up, you yeah. know, just about every year. But Ole Miss is coming in with the better quarterback – Ole Miss is coming in with probably more offensive pieces than Mississippi State has. Um, I think the difference in this kind of game is going to be not necessarily the play callers or anything like that. I think it's going to be who's playing the best defense at the time. Is there a defense that can limit the other team? If Ole Miss comes out and their defense is the same or around the same as it was last year, then I think that you know State's going to be – I think State can be favored in this ball game because I, I really believe that Zach Arnett's going to be able to dial something up, and he's going to have some pieces out there that he can slow down. So it kind of, in some ways, it's going to neutralize a little bit of what Lane Kiffin does as a play caller, and a little bit of what Matt Corral does as well. Although they're they're going to get their yards and, and points a lot of times too, but the, it kind of neutralizes a little bit of the of the head coaching part of things, and, and also the quarterback. I think the defenses to me is what's going to be the difference in a win or loss. It's interesting in that both teams were really bad on one side of the ball last year. State was really bad offensively. Ole Miss was really bad defensively. But with Mike Leach, you expect State to be better offensively in year two. I mean, I feel pretty confident in that expectation. Ole Miss has been bad defensively since 2015. Yes. I don't believe they're going to be that much improved. Now, they've added some talent, and I like a couple of the pieces – they have. I think that, you know, um, Otis Reese is a really good football player. Uh, Momo Sonogo is a good linebacker. I thought Jacquez Jones was a good linebacker, but he's he's headed on to greener pastures. That gets addressed quite humorously in the uh, the interview I have with Ben Garrett. Um, and, and, you know, Sam Williams is a good player. 
I like Jamon Gordon as, as a piece on the defensive line that, that, that they added. I, I think he provides some good depth, and he, and he can be a starter if you need him. But there's still not one single player on that that team that I would feel comfortable saying is going to be finished as first or second team All-SEC. And they're, they're not adding the talent where you say, okay, they're going to go from last in the SEC to top five. Right. It's not like but they, they don't have Netflix. to either. They just no. need to be top eight. And that's what that's funny. You know, we said that about Mississippi State last year coming yes. in. I mean, defense was like the big big yes. concern because you said Mike Leach is going to score points. Right. He's going to put up yards. That's that's a given. And it turned out to be the opposite. Mississippi State's defense was top half they of the league. They won games with defense sometimes. And, and and you're like, God, if you could just if the offense could have just been what we think Mike Leach's offense could be. I mean, you're talking about five or six SEC wins, but you know it didn't turn out that way. But I really feel like this offense is going to be much better than it was a year ago. It, you feel like it has to be because you have the spring, the summer, and then fall camp to get ready, and you've had a full year where you're kind of implementing this system. So, uh, you know, for Mississippi State, you feel like the offense is going to be better. For Ole Miss, you feel like the defense is going to be better. So where does that leave things going into this ball game? You know, does it, is Ole Miss getting more of an edge here, or is Mississippi State? That's kind of the question. One thing I will say, tell you from the interview, that is one hundred percent accurate, is for Ole Miss, their season one hundred percent hinges on Matt Corral. Yes, if he misses any time, they are in a world of hurt. Because if they go to Plumlee, they can't run the offense the way Lane Kiffin wants to. And I don't know that Kincaid, Dent, or Luke Altmyer are ready to step into that role Mm-mm. at this time. You covered Altmyer a lot. Yeah. You know, he, you know, from what a, happens if Corral goes down and they say, we're, we're going to let Luke take over? From an arm talent standpoint, you know, he can make every throw. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he's ready physically to jump into the mix in the SEC. I think, and from what I've been able to tell, just seeing pictures of Luke and stuff. It seems like he's putting on some good good weight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's starting to prepare his body a little bit. He's got to get bigger. And, you know, from a, you know, just knowing the offense standpoint, I think he'll be fine. But mm-hmm. Matt Corral is such a dynamic guy. Yeah. You know, he can he can chunk the ball 50, 60 yards down the field. You know, he can he can make every throw. Does the, Altmaier have the uh, the mobility that Corral has? No. Okay. I mean, he's straight line speed. He's deceptively fast. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know how fast he runs in a forty, but he can get away from people. But does he have that? I don't know. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that elusiveness that okay. Corral has. Moving side to side, he's not as Corral's quick. pocket awareness is, is pretty high. Yeah, pretty yeah. High. You don't you don't often see him get sacked. Yeah, is it somehow stitch John Rice Plumley's legs on a Luke Altmaier? You got something there. But yeah, if you, if you could mix if you could mix John Rice Plumley with Luke Altmaier. You'd have a pretty darn good yeah. quarterback. All right, let's get into this interview now. I talked to Spirit Ben, Ben Garrett of the Ole Miss Spirit, my good friend, and Robbie's too, whether he wants to admit it or not. We both work for the same network. So. That's true. That's true. Uh, we talked for a good half hour about this game and about the uh, the Egg Bowl and about, and about Ole Miss. We'll get a good preview of the Rebels here on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. Here's Ben Garrett of the Ole Miss Spirit. Well, even though both teams are still playing postseason baseball, and even though it is the beginning of June, we are 12 weeks away from the start of the college football season. That means it's opponent preview time here on Thunder and Lightning, and that means on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline is my friend from the Ole Miss spirit, Ben Garrett, on to talk some Egg Bowl in June. Is it ever too early? Uh, rivalry aside, is it ever too early to talk about this game? Yes, this is too early. <laughs> When you're doing the, the whole intro there, I was thinking, right, there's baseball for both programs coming up. They're both in Supers, Omaha, whatever. 
And there's so much more time between now and when these teams play in November. So is there an early time? Is this too early of a time? It's now. This is too early. Well, we're, we're going to do it anyway. So okay, you'll just, fine. You'll just have to be, be a part of that. Uh, Ole Miss offensively, we all know what they are. They're going to be mm-hmm. really good. Matt Corral, probably, if he's not my, my all-SEC quarterback, he's certainly my second-team guy when we get to media days. In, in Who's few, first? JT Daniels could be it. Okay. He's got more talent around him. Those are, those are the only two real options in the SEC this year. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah, there, nobody else just stands out. Certainly, certainly not Bo Nix. Uh, he's never Bo Nix. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and they had, I saw a weird stat the other day. It said basically, Ole Miss returns a hundred percent of its passing yards, but less than fifty percent of its receiving yards because Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, and more specifically, mm-hmm. such a big chunk of that. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to ask you the question that everybody's going to ask, and that's who replaces Elijah Moore? I don't think there's any one person that replaces Elijah Moore. I think that's impossible. And if you've been watching, um, I don't know if anybody cares about Twitter. I don't. We talked about this before we started recording. We did. Uh, any reports from New York Jets camp on Twitter or anywhere online, you've seen that Elijah's had an absolutely ridiculous camp, and he's been the one of all the Jets, which I don't know if it really says all that much because it's the Jets, but of all the Jets, He's by far and away the biggest storyline of camp, and he's been the most impressive. And that's because he is, and it's been kind of quiet because of the sophomore year that was lost to an offense that was archaic. He is one of the greatest receivers to ever come through Ole Miss. And he's, without a doubt, the best slot receiver. So I don't think there's ever going to be one guy this year that replaces Elijah Moore. But there is a group there that altogether could replicate in some way his production even though they're never going to fully replicate what he did, because what he did was make everybody better. Because he was by himself a double coverage nightmare, because you couldn't really double cover him, because that's just, he's too good of a route runner. I've said this before, and, and you know this, like I've always said that A.J. Brown's the best wide receiver ever come through here. And then the Quantrill was in there. But as far as route running, it's Elijah Moore. So he was pretty much a double, co- double coverage buster, and there's no guy like that on this roster. So, you could see Jonathan Mingo in the slot. You could see J.J. Henry, a newcomer in the slot. Ja'Core Pearson, the transfer from Western Kentucky, he could be in the slot. There are a lot of guys that could play there. And I even saw Ontario Drummond in the slot a little bit this uh, spring. So there are guys that could play that position. But it's never going to be just one guy. And I think what's going to have to happen more with this office this year is it's going to have to be spread out more, which will rely on guys like Braylon Sanders, who doesn't have a track record of being durable, being healthy, he has to stay on the field. Because otherwise, you can see the passing game be a little bit more sporadic. I think that is a concern. And I think one thing that you brought up that's really important here is Kenny Yaboa. yeah, he fell off as far as production toward the end of the year and that he missed the last two games because he opted out. But when he was good, their offense was paired with Elijah Moore at its very best. So having somebody step in at tight end, and we all thought there would be a transfer in there at this point, there hasn't been. So will Casey Kelly be that guy we step in and be able to maybe be a plug-and-play tight end because there is an argument that whoever Lane Kiffin plugs and plays a tight end, they are successful in this offense. Or will it be Hudson Wolf? Is he healthy enough? There's a lot of question marks about the replacements for those two particular positions. But unlike a tight end, at wide receiver, they do have numbers, but there's just no obvious guy. Let me play devil's advocate with this question for you, though. Okay. Because prior to 2020, Elijah Moore, he's a good receiver. That's what you would have said about him. He's a good receiver. Nobody could have projected him breaking A.J. Brown's records and becoming what he was. So isn't there a, should there be a confidence level that, look, 
Kiffin was able to do this with Elijah Moore, he can do it again with somebody else? There's certainly an argument that can be made there, because Lane Kiffin, when he um, looked at the Ole Miss job, one of the big draws for him, he said, was Elijah Moore. And one of the first calls he made, one of the only early calls he made, was to Elijah Moore and said, you're going to break records. And I think because a lot of people, and this is what I disagree, a lot of people, when they actually viewed Elijah Moore on a day-to-day basis, not from a national perspective, but if you were around Ole Miss like we were, and you saw Elijah Moore every single day, you said, oh, my God, he is being wasted. Because he was. His freshman year was really, really good, but he was overshadowed because why? There was Laquan, I mean, Laquan, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on the roster. Mm-hmm. And, of course, those guys are going to yeah, demand DeMarcus all the attention. Yeah, and DeMarcus, just on and on. DeMarcus Lodge, yeah, one of the most underrated or maybe undervalued wide receivers ever come through here, too. And then sophomore year, like I said, you know, to start, it was an archaic offense that was stuck in 2008, 7, whatever. Um Sure. And the passing game was just completely abandoned in many ways. I mean, the only routes Elijah Moore got to run was within 5 to 15 yards. He never really got the opportunity to stretch the field, and they had a quarterback, John Rice Plumlee, that even if they tried to, he couldn't get him the ball. So that's why I think um, I would disagree in that way because anybody that was there on a day-to-day basis knew that he was a wide receiver of equal, if not in, you know, better talent in certain respects than all the other greats to come through here, specifically in route running, he was just getting wasted. So um, it's not going to be easy for one person, considering how good he was as a route runner, um, to just step in and do what he did. But I do agree, though, that in this offense, there is a lot of um, the play, plug-and-play component to it, specifically at tight end, and there is an argument to be made at slot receiver. But still, even knowing that, what he did last year was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And I think he was averaging, oh, my God, I mean, how many 200-yard games? He was breaking records. He broke A.J. Brown's record. Okay. And then not to mention, I think he was number two in pro football focus, no less than number two yeah. in pretty much every he major He broke A.J. Brown's category. record in a 10-game yeah. season that right. was all SEC opponents. And he opted out. And he opted out. He missed the last game, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, LSU, and then misses the oh, he missed the two games. Game. Yeah, so he played nine. Yeah. So in nine games, he basically had 180 yards per game. If I'm correct, yeah, yeah, and that and that just shows you that. I mean, the number it was absolutely it was video game numbers, yeah. and uh, that's why no one person will. But there are plenty of guys that all put together could do it because they have numbers of wide receiver. The real concern for me, because you made a good point about how the offense is going to be really good. They're going to put up numbers. They're going to put up yards. Yeah, but it could be a little bit more, you know, stunted in a way because of there are question marks at key positions, tight end being one of them. And then Royce Newman, how good he was and undervalued he was as a fourth-round pick to the Packers as a right tackle. And there's some questions in the offensive line of who's tackle, who's playing center, because I think Ben Brown's going to be moved back out to guard just because that's where the need is. Um, you know, Nick Broker, they would prefer him not be left tackle because they think he's a pro football right tackle, maybe even guard. Um, but he's playing left tackle left because that's where the need is. So there are some question marks on that offense. Um, but, yeah, the offense I don't think is really overly the concern here. It's, it's always going to come back to the defense because you do believe that in a Lane Kiffin team, the offense is always going to score points and uh, put up yards. We'll get to the defense in just a minute. We'll talk a little bit about Corral. Threw 14 picks a year ago, but he threw 11 of them in two games. That's right. Can he erase that from his from his from what he has to offer? Can he stop being that guy that, you know, yeah, there's always this fear that he's going to have a four or five interception game. I think that's just kind of who he is, isn't it? I mean, as long as it's not six. Yeah. I mean, the, the six interception game. That's five just, is okay, but six is too many. Yeah, I mean, even five, you're like, God, man, you know, just two less. 
I, I think there's always going to be a game where he just has three or four, but you just can't have the absolute blow up game. And um, we all kind of t- you know forget this, but like last year was his first full year starting. Yeah. So you know there were going to be games that weren't necessarily clunkers, but at least he was going to have ugly games, and those were his ugly games. And even in his ugly games, he still put Ole Miss in a position to win. Even if he put Ole Miss in the position to lose to begin with, he was coming back to put Ole Miss in position to win um, by being able to stretch the field unlike any other quarterback on the roster. And not, not since Chad Kelly has almost had a deep ball throw like this. I don't think outside of Eli and Chad and Matt there's ever been deep, a, a deep ball thrower as good as Matt Corral. So um, I think he can eliminate it uh, just because it's his I mean, every single year he's been in college, he's had a new uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah. So to be able to have the same offensive coordinator um, for two straight years, going into his draft eligible year in a quarterback uh, class for the NFL draft next year that isn't particularly strong, um, I think not only could he absolutely be motivated to eliminate those things just purely based on what he's trying to do personally, but, but for a team perspective, um, I, I think he's going to benefit from the consistency of having the same head coach, the same quarterback coach, the same offensive coordinator, the same everything except for the offensive line coach, but that, that has no impact on him. But having everything around him be consistently the same, and that should, you would think in theory, eliminate some of those turnovers or just those two blow-up games because you you're right. He was remarkably consistent in all but two games. Um, but can you limit those things? I think I think that's pretty easy to do. If your bullets are only like three interceptions, yeah. and I think it's easier to ask, hey, okay, yeah, you're going to throw three interceptions. Don't not be you. You a big part of what makes you who you are is your willingness to make that you know, take risk and push the ball down the field. Do those things, but just don't throw into double triple coverage just because you get a little hurried up. It's okay to survive for second down. Okay, I take a sack for two three yard loss. At least I'm surviving for another down, and it's okay to punt. I think Matt Crowell sometimes in those games where he blew up, he got a little carried away because he just doesn't ever want to punt. Sometimes it's okay to punt. Yeah. It's okay. It happens. Football teams punt. You don't always oh, find success on every good uh, drive. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely tell you that it happens. I've yeah. seen that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw recently the Athletic did a state of the program on Ole Miss, and, and they had a, oh. an SEC coach, anonymous off the record or whatever, and he oh, said, he was talking about Corral, and he said, Ah, yeah, he's good. He can run a little bit. Not the best deep ball. And I, where does this come from? What are these? We where, figured where, it out. Where do they want? Michael Borky and I figured it out. He's talking about Plumlee. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that leads to my next question and my last question about the offense. What is John Rice Plumlee's role this year? There's two answers to that. One, if I, I'm not positive that he'll be here. I still don't think that decision has been made. Mm-hmm. Even if he's still with baseball, it's, it's becoming late, but as we've seen, kids are still enter, entering the transfer portal right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it's June. I think kids will be entering the portal in July. I don't think rosters will be settled until August. So as much as he's playing for Ole Miss baseball, and it's not you know a starter role or anything like that, but he's playing significant time for Ole Miss baseball. Um, I, I still don't think the football decision has been made so that that will have to be settled. There'll have to be a true resolution to that before we can really know for sure. But assuming that he's on the roster, I think, first of all, if, God forbid, anything were to happen to Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley in a pinch, is going in at quarterback. Because at least you know exactly what he's going to do. And he's at least performed at the highest level. Now, he can't pass, but he performed at the highest level. And they would have at least a truncated um, 
offense or system, whatever, for John Rice Plumley in a pinch. And then in the long-term view, they would prepare one of Kincaid Dent or Luke Altmaier to replace Matt Crowell. But outside of being the emergency number two quarterback, I think what you saw him do in the Outback Bowl is a good example of what he would do or, or what kind of role he would play in a full year if he embraced it. But he hasn't ever truly embraced it. I mean, really, uh, he just wanted to get on the field of the Outback Bowl because that's not just a role that they said, hey, presented to them, you can do this um, that week. I mean, this is something they talked to him about, but he was completely dismissive of it. And I think the full belief throughout the year was that John Rice at the end of the year or after baseball, whatever, was going to transfer out because he was committed to being a quarterback. And that still could happen. But if he does stay, it won't just be as a slot receiver. And I think that's what Ole Miss fans and a lot of people, oh, just put him as a slot receiver. Well, there's got to be willingness on the part of the kid. And also, I think Ole Miss views him, and I'm not saying he's this player in any way, but they view him kind of like Percy Harvard in terms of playing him everywhere. You remember how Percy lined up in the backfield and then split out wide slot. Wherever you wanted to put him, he was just a Swiss Army knife weapon that they could use. Same thing with John Rice Plumley. And um, I think they would line him up in the backfield. They did that with him a little bit, and even the lead up to the Outback Bowl. But then the Outback Bowl, he really showed what he could be just as a true offensive weapon. And, yes, the route running isn't particularly clean. But, I mean, on that last drive, it was John Rice who made the two biggest plays that set them up to win. So, yeah, I think that's what you would see from him. He'd be a lot of uh, slot receiver, maybe even um, lining up as a running back at times, uh, uh, gimmicky quarterback stuff that I absolutely hate. But that's what still coaches do, and far be for me to say Lane Kiffin shouldn't do those things because he forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But point being, that's what he would do. He would do a uh, poor man's version of Percy Harvard. And then we go to the defense, and okay. we, we we know what it was. It's been, it's not even what it was last year. It's what it's been basically the past five seasons. It's been bad. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there, there's no sugarcoating that around it. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of JUCO guys coming in try to shore up the defensive line. You bring back some guys at some key positions. You lose a guy like Jock West Jones, who may or may not have, have been still been a starter. I, I know there was shocker. It was a shocker though. It was a shocker in that building. Really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Go, go expound on that then. Why did he leave? Uh. The short answer is nobody really knows for sure. Okay. Um, the long answer would be, let's be honest here, uh, tampering happens with all these schools. Well, yeah. well, I don't want to get I don't want to get into this too deep, you know, because this could go. Into really I'm sure you don't, Ben Garrett, of your old spirit. I don't want to go into this too deep. Let's just say it could go off in many directions here. <laughs> but if he ends up in Kentucky, there's a reason he ends up in Kentucky. John Summerall's in Kentucky. Okay. Right. And um, you're right. I mean, there's been bodies added to the room at linebacker to where there was no guarantee that Jock was going to be a starter, even though he and was there, the There shouldn't be anybody before. guaranteed to start off with no. the defense. They were terrible. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, the only thing they did well was create turnovers enough that uh, they were able to, like in the Egg Bowl, when Tyler Knight caused the fumble at the goal, goal line, it was scooped up by Deion Murray in the State of the Yeah, it was play the game. So it, it's what won them the game. So. Creating enough turnovers saved them from being a complete and utter disaster. In every other respect, in every other measurable respect, they were that they were that bad. They were really bad. So, um, yeah, Jacquez Jones adding bodies to that room, being the leading tackler on the worst defense in the SEC. I mean, what, what does that mean? But on paper, it's bad uh, because he, he could help you in some way. And I'm not going to in any way diminish uh, the loss of Jacquez Jones. They did not want to lose him because, I mean, he was a – productive linebacker in the SEC. That's just not something that you, is, is easy to lose. So, uh, Jacquez Jones is a loss, but 
I think one thing that they're excited about is what they've added on the back end in the secondary. They do have numbers in the secondary now. And um, the freshman class has been really impressive. Tysheem Johnson is a guy that I think is going to contribute immediately. Uh, Markevious Brown is a guy that I think is going to contribute immediately. Both of them were already running with the second team in the spring. They just have playmaking ability. But really what it comes down to, you can add all this newness to it. Uh, the returning guys that stepped into big roles last year being better, like an A.J. Finley has to be better, right? I mean, I think uh, uh, the two Jukos you mentioned, they're going to contribute heavily, but where is Sam Williams in this? Where is T. Tisdale in this? Like, those guys were supposed to have taken a step last year. Now, Sam Williams, for all the -the off-the-field bad stuff, that is really what I think derailed him from having the breakout that he was supposed to have last year because a lot of people thought he was the best draft-eligible guy they had last year on the roster, and then he didn't play that way. But they don't have a true dominant edge. So, Sam Williams, you have to be that dominant edge guy. Yeah, we can talk about Isaiah Ike and Jamon Gordon, but if those guys are doing their jobs well, and it takes Juco's a couple of games at least, sometimes half a, oh, yeah. half a season, to really become what they end up being. So, like, look, man, you can't rely on those guys. It has to be Sam Williams that has to really you know step in and be that edge. Or Tisdale, look, you've got to step in and be the you know that three tech wherever they put you. You have to be that guy that can really command attention that allows the new guys around them. But I'm intrigued by guys like Mark Robinson. He's a he's a, tra- uh, a transfer that last year didn't play a lot, but really was a starting linebacker this spring. And Otis Reese, the full year of him will be important. I think I think he'll play kind of a hybrid uh, linebacker safety role. They actually have Jake Springer, the Navy transfer, eligible this year. So all of those guys will be important. And then Tavius Robinson, he's had a full year under his belt, and he was really good. I think he got the defensive MVP of the spring. He was really dominant as a defensive lineman. So that's where the improvement comes from. And then can you continue to be that turnover-creating defense with the improvement around you? Because it's not like they have to go from 130 to 50 to be a really – improved defense for an offense that's going to score a lot of points. Yeah. Can you go from 130 to 80? That's a re- that's a significant jump. That's mm-hmm. a big jump. That's probably two and more again, wins. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So if that's two more wins and you thought that, okay, in a 10-game All-SEC schedule, uh, let's play that out with a non-con. They're probably winning eight games last year. Well, two more wins is then. And I'm not saying they're going to win 10 games this year because the schedule's really hard, but I'm saying that if that defense goes from 130 to just 80-something, then they do have a chance to win eight to ten games, um, but again, that's say, that's asking a lot of a defense that wasn't outside of one particular area, area very good at all. So, let's look at this, at this game, the one that will be played this year. You know, you look back to last year. We all know that State came to Oxford with a with a pretty decimated roster with COVID and everything else. I think they played right. 43, 44 guys in that game. I thought State was going to struggle a lot in that game, and you know, when they went down fourteen nothing, I was just I didn't. Like, well, I mean, you and I are sort of cut from the same same cloth. It's just a different yeah. color. Um, yeah, yeah. But when they when they you know went down fourteen nothing, I thought, okay, well, I mean, this is going to be really <laughs> ugly. And then at, at the end, State's driving to tie the game and just you know sort of runs out of time and yardage there. This year, you know, I think everybody would say I expect Mike Leach's offense to be better in year two. State was much better defensively a year ago than we thought they were going to be, and they bring back a lot of guys. And now the game is in Starkville. You know, just a, obviously it's June, but right now, how do you sort of see the, the, this game? You know, I don't know. When you actually texted me and said, hey, I'm doing the thing that I've been doing for so many years, the 12 weeks, the start from and the And that you back should be end. ready for at this point in your life because I always call you. 
and I always forget it. Yeah, I don't know anything about state. I really don't. I, I don't. And then, you know, you you could tell me whatever, and I would completely buy it because you're there. I'm not. I, yeah. I have no clue. Um, I just always default when I don't know much about state, or I just you know, am just completely caught up in all the old Miss stuff. Um, I just default to what I always say. I don't really care what the teams are outside of the really disastrous teams of Ole Miss since 2016. Um, if either, if, if either or both teams, I mean, if both teams are competitive, if both teams are competent, the game is going to be competitive. So I always default to who's at home. Who's at home? And where is it played this year, Brian? In Starkville. Okay. So if it's played in Starkville, it's going to be a 10-point game one way or the other. And assuming that Mississippi State has improved, if you're making me predict it in June, I'm going to say Ole Miss is going to lose in Starkville. That's what I'm just going to do because that's just how I always default to it. Now, on paper, Ole Miss is better, but this is just what I've gotten to at this point in my life, right? Yeah. <laughs> to where, all right, if you're making me predict it in June, and okay, then it's a play to start. All right, cool. Well, this is always a 10-point game, so I'm going to pick Mississippi State. But, you know, every piece of evidence that if you're looking at it on paper, you say, okay, Ole Miss is probably the better team this year, and in a normal game, Ole Miss should be favored, would probably win that game. But that this is never a normal game. Yeah, Nothing about this, these two schools is normal. And it's something that you and I talk about all the time. I mean, nothing's normal about this. And it's miserable at many times. But it is what it is. So, I mean, that's kind of where I am with it. I don't know much of anything about State. Like, for example, I don't know who starts at quarterback. Uh, who's their quarterback? I think it's going to be Will Rogers, but we'll see. Okay. I, I, like, who's their best offensive player? Jaden Wally. Okay. Uh, Jay, that makes sense. Um, but, like, I looked at the teams last year, and I thought Kylan Hill was probably going to end up being in the conversation for SEC Player of the Year, and then yeah. he just doesn't end up finishing the year, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, I think there's just so many things that could be at play for this team. Like, I mean, Matt Corral has to stay healthy for Ole Miss. He has to. Yeah. And we could talk about the upside of Luke Altmaier. Or Kincaid did, could absolutely be fine just stepping in and, and being serviceable. John Rice pulling This whole deal is built around Matt Corral. If anything happens to Matt Corral, all bets are off um, because he's just that valuable to this program and for this offense for this team. I mean, he's everything. He's the entire program. And um, that sounds precarious because no one player should matter that much, but he's the quarterback for Christ's sake, so it's going to matter that much. Um, but even more than that, I mean, this whole team is built around Lane Kiffin and his offense and his quarterback. And defensively, if you're relying on Ole Miss to make a jump from 130 to 50, then you're fooling yourself. So 130 to 80, if that's the measuring stick, well, an 80 defense with a team led by Kincaid Dinner, Luke Altmaier, is still not going to be a very good team. You're going to be struggling to be bowl eligible. So it's all about Matt Corral. And um, as long as Matt Corral is healthy, then I think Ole Miss is better than Mississippi State. But if he's not, going to Starville is never an easy thing. It never is. So trying to go into Starville and win the egg ball in that whole environment with a place that just hates everything that is Ole Miss, um, it's a tough ask. So when I look down the schedule, I mean, that's one of the few questions I have about the schedule. Yeah, you, um, but you, even should never, you should never say the Egg Bowl is, it doesn't matter what. Yeah. Never more than a toss-up. It never doesn't more. matter. And and then I look at, like, in November, I mean, my God, Hugh Freeze is coming back to Ole Miss in November. You know? Like, who's decided when they looked at this, this is, this is good for Ole Miss to do. Yeah, this is well, a that, smart that, thing that to game do. wasn't scheduled when Freeze was at, at Liberty. I know. He was probably at Ole Miss. went. But once he went, get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, 
Freeze, no, Freeze probably told his athletic director, I don't care if they offer you 50. It's Liberty. They got plenty of money. <laughs> uh, but it's just so stupid. In the middle of November, as you're going into bowl season, you're playing out this really tough SEC schedule. you got your in-state rival that you got to travel to at the end of the year. Yeah, let's stick the embattled former head coach and attention whore that will just never stop wanting to talk about Ole Miss. Let's stick him right there. With a good know? team. Uh, with a good team that can beat you. What's the upside for Ole Miss in that game? Well, there's Nothing. none now. Yeah. Six years there's ago, none. whenever it was scheduled, maybe there was some. I mean, I was, oh, that's an easy win. Now it's not so much. There's that's no upside to it, so just keeping it on the schedule is ridiculous. I'm getting off track here. Point being, if you ask me today, I mean, of course, I'm going to default to what you and I, every time we do one of these things, you and I say the exact same thing every single year. Well, I have, my, 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 my scenario is always the same thing. This is how I pick almost every game I pick. Who has the better coach? Who has the better quarterback? Where's the game being played? So who has the better coach? Probably a push, right? Leach and Kiffin, yeah. they're both good coaches. I mean, either both sides are going to say, oh, no, it's lame. Yeah, exactly. oh, no, it's but if we're going to be no, honest, they're both really good college football coaches. Yeah, I have no clue. I, I, I really I don't pretend to be some expert, so I can't tell you who's the better coach. I don't right. know. They both, they both, yeah. Who has yeah. a better quarterback? Ole Miss has a better quarterback. Ole Miss. Correct. Yeah. Where's the game being played? It's in Starkville. Start. So it's it's a toss-up, and it's just, exactly. you know, who do you think is going to win? So, yeah, it makes sense. I would, I would pick Ole Miss as the better team right now and mm-hmm. say, well, they should be, win that game, all things equal. Mm-hmm. But the Egg Bowl is never all things equal. Yeah. No, and right. it's in Starkville. So, yeah. I mean, knowing this rivalry and been around, having been around it for my 35 years of existence, yeah, probably some dumb shit will happen in the state of Wyoming. I look forward to talking to you next June and you picking Ole Miss because the game is up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after yeah, yeah. state, you know, something. Yeah, yeah, I'll pick Ole Miss again because this is what we do. All right, Ben Garrett, the Ole Miss spirit. We do it every year, man. Twelve weeks to kick to uh, till kickoff. Get ready for it. Every single year, every year, and it's always too early. Never too early. Thanks, buddy. Bye, buddy. All right, so something different I want to do this year. And, you know, normally Mississippi State is the last team we preview, and that's the team where we make our, 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 our prediction for their season. But we're going to make this, this opponent preview. We're going to do a prediction game by game so that when we get to the last game, we're, we're, we're there. And, we, and we, we already know what our prediction is. So as we sit here today, June the 9th of 2021, you know, some almost six months to kick off, how do you see this game going? As we sit right now, I would say that Ole Miss probably favored. Oh, they are Vegas has them installed. I think as a seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, I mean just because the fact that you know exactly what you're getting with Matt Corral and that offense. They're returning a lot of guys. I know they're losing Elijah Moore, but you just feel like somebody's going to step up and be able to to fill his shoes. They didn't have a whole lot of trouble with him out of the game in the bowl game, right? So you know they're going to have talent. Yeah, they're going to have talent. So, and, and Matt, you have probably the most talented quarterback in the SEC from just a pure arm strength and you know what he's able to do with the football in his hands. So, I would I would say that they'd probably be favored as of today, and I would probably favor them. Okay, but it's just one of those games. It seems like every year when you get to it, you still have these question marks going into the ball game, and you could never really kind of nail down. I thought a couple of years ago, State was you know. A heavy favorite in that ball game, in my opinion, I thought they would win that ball game even more than they did. Uh, and that game was close and startable. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to predict. But yeah. I would, I would pick Ole Miss at this point. I would take State right now 
Just because because it's a home game? Or? It's because it's a home game because I am counting on Leach to be better offensively, and I am not counting on Ole Miss to be much better defensively. And I think that Arnett with a fully healthy defensive – you know it's the end of the year, and you may not be fully healthy, but you're going to have a lot more depth this year than you had last year. Yeah, and so I, I and talent in the back end that you can cover some of those right. guys that you didn't cover. Forbes last year. and Emerson and Jalen Green, I feel better about your ability to do that. And there is no Elijah Moore now, and he was a real difference maker in that game. So right now, close game, but I agree with Ben, who also picked State to win at this juncture. So okay, well so. I I feel like the Ole Miss homer here. Sorry, so, old Spirit Robbie over That's there. That's right. So later on, Robbie and Chuck Roundsville will give you their thoughts on Ole Miss's. Top five recruiting weekends. From Funkies. Live from Funkies. Funkies. Live. All right. Let's move on over to the other half of this uh, show and our SEC preview. That's also, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at Welcome Home Beef. Don't forget the sales that are going on this week. Two eighty nine a pound ground uh, chuck, three ninety nine a pound ground brisket. A ground bur- a burger made out of ground brisket just sounds like it would be fantastic. And sirloin steaks, a great cut. Only four ninety nine a pound. But don't forget, there's plenty of other cuts there available for you at Welcome Home Beef. They are your full-service butcher shop. Any special order you need to make, they've got you taken care of. And any information, any knowledge you need on how to cook the meat, they've got that as well. Call them today at 662-268-8148. Visit them online at ABSMS. No, no, no. At welcomehomebeef.com. Welcome Home Beef. It just tastes good. Two Brothers Smoked Meats. I was at Two Brothers for lunch uh, just yesterday. Pulled pork grilled cheese sandwich. Ooh. So good. Mac and cheese, a little pork belly in there. Ooh. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Fantastic place. Great service. Everybody's out in there happy. I ran into a friend of mine who's a huge Ole Miss fan who from Vicksburg. And she was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in so long. And I was like, what are you doing in Starkville? And she was dropping her, her daughter off at a cheerleading camp. And I was just like, gosh, we're old. Wow. We're so old. But it was good to see her. And, and hey, she knew where to go. When she was in Starkville, she was with some friends who were state fans, and they, they knew the place, and that was two brothers. That needs to be the place for you this weekend. Make sure you head up here and grab hold of something from their tremendous menu. Two Brothers Smoked Meats, Southern Smoked Smolt Soul Food in the heart of the Cotton District. Advantage Business Systems wants to take care of you on two fronts. They've got a catalog, an inventory of products, services, technology upgrades, the stuff that your business needs to run with more profits and less problems, and they back that up with the kind of customer service you would expect from your next-door neighbor. And that's what Advantage Business Systems is. They are a local business. They are a Mississippi business. They've been helping Mississippians for nearly 50 years. If you haven't called them already, you need to call them today and find out how they can help you. Call them at 601-362-362. 9192, or visit them online at absms.com. Got it right that time. Advantage Business Systems will help your business do business. SEC preview time. The Kentucky Wildcats. I I bring this up in my interview, and I talked to John Hale of the Courier-Journal. We'll talk to him in just a minute. But has Kentucky, for you, reached that point where, like three years ago, you say, hey, Kentucky's going to go 3-9. and I'm like, okay, I believe it. Now I I would be surprised if they were bad. Like, yeah. I expect Kentucky going to bowl games. They've now hit the point of their kind of, like, middle of the pack. Like in the, and sort of where Mullen had state. Yeah, but they're, they're I don't know if they're on that. Can they get to that same, can they yeah. get to number one in the nation? No. I think state might have been, like, a slight rung ahead of them. The difference is this. Tell me if I'm wrong. It, the quarterback. State got, state got Dak Prescott. They had an elite quarterback in place. That allowed them to elevate yeah. to number one. If Kentucky could find their Dak Prescott... 
Well, Kentucky is doing. Kentucky's kind of doing what State was doing under Mullen. They're getting some good offensive linemen that mm-hmm. they're developing. Very and good. The defensive line's good. The linebackers. They they've always got one or two really good linebackers that end up going high in the draft. They always got a couple of good safeties. They're building their team kind of around the the offensive line, defensive line, and the defense. But they just have in twenty eighteen when they were competing for the SEC East. I felt like they had really turned a corner. Like I, I felt like they were really about to be, you know, dangerous. They had finally got over the hump and beat Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, they finally got over the hump and beat Mississippi State. Yeah. So you kind of felt like this team's really turned the corner. Now they've regressed back. They yeah. won eight games but and five games. I think that's sort of what they're in the same sort of cycle that Mississippi State is, in that in a five year cycle, they'll have some eight win seasons, they'll have maybe a six win season, and then they have that one year where they elevate. And that was tw- in 2018. Th- both Mississippi State and Kentucky should have elevated. Only Kentucky did. Yeah. Um, and I think last year was sort of their their step back year. And I think that be- a lot of that was happening because at the end of the day, Terry Wilson was just not a good quarterback. Good athlete. Yeah. But I think not, they were hoping that pass. I think they were hoping that Joey Gatewood they would were. come in and he was going to be the guy. And he he just he never got cleared until later on, yeah. and then it was too late. But, yeah, I mean, they are a lot like Mississippi State. They had that one good year where they won five SEC games, and then, you know, everything else has just kind of been like three, four SEC yeah. wins a year. They win their non-conference. Um, they're going to go to a bowl game every year. Louisville being down is helping them right now. That's another yeah. win for them. But they, they've only they finished inside the top 25, I think, only one time, yeah. Yeah. and that was that year. Yeah. They, 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 they're not quite where Mullen had State, but they, they're, on that, 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 they're in that slight tier below. But, they're, I mean, th- that place – is so difficult to win because yeah. basketball rules there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like at Mississippi State where baseball is so big. It's just, and, and you know, and maybe you not on the, it's not nearly on the same level as basketball because that's an actual revenue sport, but people just don't care about football there like they do basketball. And, and despite having a larger population, there are more quality football players in Mississippi than there are in Kentucky. Yeah. And State and Ole Miss. The, they're having to pull, and, yeah. and Mark, give Mark Stoops credit. He's, he's going it. to Ohio, yeah, he's going to the Midwestern yeah. states, and he's going and getting. Talented players from up there. He he knows He's, where to pull. You you talked about this on the message board about how you know state can live in that zone where you're, if you're getting guys at LSU and Alabama and Auburn don't quite have room for, you're doing really good. He's doing that from a Big Ten perspective. Mm-hmm. He's getting the guys at Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan don't quite have room for. That those guys can win in the SEC. You can win with that team. And he's been so close. They almost got. Um, who was the kid a few years ago that was running back that ended up going? I think the Bama. It was. Um, oh, I, I know. Gosh, I know you're. My talking mind's about completely gone blank. Harris was it Damian, Damian Harris? Harris. So yeah. he was going to go to Kentucky. Yeah. They they've been right there. They almost Mac, Mac Jones. Mac was Jones was to committed Kentucky. to Kentucky. So and then what it went for that is Alabama. that is the difference probably. And then one guy. That was the difference in them. Going from you know ten from that ten win season in eighteen yeah. to twelve wins yeah. to back down to eight and five. Let's get this interview in. I talked to John Hale from the Louisville Courier Journal. He has been covering the Wildcats for a long time. Frequent guest here on Thunder and Lightning. Let's get his thoughts on the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky is who's on base today for the uh, SEC preview. Joining me now on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline, John Hale covers the Wildcats for the Louisville Courier Journal. Great reporter. Not a fan of the uh, Champions of Europe, much to his uh, his dismay, I'm sure. John, Kentucky has has sort of turned a corner for me uh, in terms of expectation. And what I mean by that is, two years ago, if you say, okay, Kentucky's going to go 3-9, and nine, I'm not completely surprised by that. 
Now I would be really surprised if Kentucky is not a bowl team and possibly a lot better than that. Is, is it the same way in Kentucky? Have fans reached a level of expectation of winning? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's obviously not an Alabama. It's not a, an LSU, an Auburn, a Georgia, anything like that. But they, they've certainly reached the point in the program where Rich Brooks had it, what, 10 or 15 years ago, where they were expecting to go to a bowl game every season, win or six, six or seven games, you get to a mid to low level bowl game and, and go from there. The question becomes, can you take it to another level? And Mark Stoops so, so far has, has shown the signs that that might be possible, that where you can have this baseline of having a winning record every season, and then maybe every three or four years you have a bunch of veterans, you have some things go your way, and you could make a run at the East. They did that a, a few years ago with Josh Allen and Benny Snell and all those guys, won 10 games for the first time in uh, 40 years in the program, had a winner-take-all game for the East against Georgia that they lost. But now can you do that consistently? And I think what happens this year is going to say a lot about that because they've got holes to fill, but they have a lot of talent coming back. They've gotten to a point where you – feel good about kind of plugging and playing and filling those holes with, with guys who are even higher-ranked recruits than the, than the players they're replacing, but you have to go out and prove it and, and prove that you're more than um, you know a mid-level bowl team every season, but that's absolutely the kind of bare minimum expectation now. Kentucky Mississippi State had something in common. They were both one-dimensional offensively last year. It was a different dimension. State obviously through the air. Kentucky a lot better on the ground. What does the Kentucky do this year to be more dynamic in the passing game? Yeah, the hope was, I mean, I think Mark Stoops acknowledged for as much as that's kind of his identity, uh, you know, smash mouth, he wants to win, be a physical team, he wants that to be the compliment everybody pays his team. He, he acknowledged that uh, they can't take that next step that we were just talking about if, if they're only one-dimensional, if they can't ever throw the ball. And so he, he made a change, which I don't think he really wanted to do, but he, he decided it was best for the program, or he fired Eddie Grant, the offensive coordinator, and Darren Hinshaw, the quarterback's coach. Brian Liam Cohen, who was the assistant quarterbacks coach for the Los Angeles Rams, to try and implement the offense that Sean McVay has run in the NFL, but is you know a bunch of teams are trying to copy there. Bring it to college football. See if you can uh, have an offense that's built heavily on play action pass that gets the tight ends involved, that uh, becomes a competent passing game, but also doesn't abandon the run. Maybe still is built on the run first. We're going to see how that works this year, but the new scheme is the hope. They, they did bring in some. Uh, wide receiver talent in, in the transfer portal, namely Wondell Robinson from Nebraska, who's a local kid uh, who was originally committed to Kentucky in high school, then flipped to Nebraska, uh, was pretty successful there, doing a little bit of everything. So you have somebody to throw the ball to now, and that, now they have, to have a quarterback, which is the big question going into the summer. And, and until we get the answer there, and, and one of the three guys competing for the job proves he's capable of elevating that passing game, it's going to continue to be uh, a question mark and, and a doubt about this team, regardless of what the scheme is. Is Joey Gatewood going to be the quarterback, or is that going to go a different way? Yeah, my pick is actually Will Levis, the uh, transfer from Penn State. He just got to campus, what, a week ago now? Um, so he was not here for spring practice. He finished his, his degree at Penn State. He was their backup the last few years, but he played a bunch for them. Uh, he's a dual-threat guy, has a great arm, uh, can run quite a bit. Uh Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, he, he brought in Levis particularly himself. They had some history in terms of when uh, Cohen was actually the offensive coordinator at, at Maine, one AA, FCS, whatever it's called now, four or five years ago, and, and he was aware of, of Levis, who's from Connecticut at the time. Uh, obviously, Levis ended up being a much better player than Maine could have ever landed, but they knew each other, and Cohen came in, saw the quarterback options he inherited at Kentucky, decided they need some more competition. 
and went out and handpicked Levis. So to me, that's kind of the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, I do think Joey Gatewood made some strides in spring, was uh, better than, than what we saw in some limited action last fall. So he's legitimate competition, and, and certainly having the spring practice to learn the new offense before Levis got here is, is going to be a, a leg up for him. But if I'm handicapping it, I have Levis 1A, uh, Gatewood 1B, and then Bo Allen, who's a, a former four-star recruit from Lexington, um, was red, you know played a little bit last year as a true freshman, and is, is a third factor in that battle. On the offensive line, Kentucky had one of the best offensive lines in the SEC a season ago, and it looks like I mean they're they're poised to do that again. Three seniors in the start potential starting five, and a redshirt junior. Yep. It's it, it was a great story last year, obviously with the Kentucky offensive line. How good can they be this year, and can they build upon what they did last year? Yeah, they can be really good, uh, but I do think that that's another area to watch. I mean, the hope for Kentucky fans and Mark Stoops and everybody else in the program is that you take what you've done so well on offense in terms of the offensive line play, running the ball the last four or five years, and then add in this new passing game with the new offensive scheme they're bringing in. But there's no guarantee that you don't lose something, too, from what they ran before, and, and there is going to be some change in what the offensive line does. I mean, the former uh, the former scheme was built heavily on the inside zone run. Well, uh, Liam Cohen's offense is built heavily on the outside zone run, so that's something they had to learn a little bit this spring and adapt to. The good news is they've got veterans. Uh, getting Luke Fortner back for that extra year of eligibility was huge for them uh, in terms of a steadying presence in the interior spots. Getting Daring and Kennard to come back to school, even though he might have been a you know second day NFL draft pick, is big a big deal. It's, it's funny we actually had our first in person interviews with anybody in the football program for more than a year earlier this week, and, and Kennard came and talked to us, and, and just seeing him in person versus seeing him on uh, through a computer screen, that dude looks like an NFL um, offensive tackle, and I think the Athletic has him projected as a first-round pick right now. So that's a pretty good place to start if, if you want to build an offensive line. But they did lose some important guys. They lost their center, and Drake Jackson, who'd started for four years. That's a big hole to fill that they still don't really have an answer for heading into summer. And then obviously they lost you know, the heart and soul of that line with John Schlarman, the position coach who died after a two-year battle with cancer last, last fall. So it's, it's still a, a group that's got some turnover, but uh, they've got lots of talent and lots of experience. So you hope that, you, that that's something to build around with the new offense. Kind of the same story defensively. Again, looking at this, this projected depth chart, you know, possibly eight senior starters. On, on a defense, and you know, Kentucky under Stoops has been known for hard-nosed defense. They've been putting guys in the NFL. You know, how good will this defense be? And is there a guy, sort of a Josh Allen kind of player, that you could see? Hey, that guy's a, a for sure future pro. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that if we're talking about how the program has changed and the perception of the program, the defense is where you start because they lose a bunch. I mean, uh, they lost a the first-round draft pick in Jamin Davis at linebacker. They lost. Uh, second round draft pick and Kelvin Joseph at corner, another draft pick and Brandon Eccles at corner. Uh, and so normally with Kentucky football for Rose's history, you'd say, oh, you lose three draft picks for your defense. They're going to take a major step back. But the guys that they have filling those holes are arguably were better recruits than the guys that were placing. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And obviously they, they need experience and may learn on the job. But there are other veterans who are really important to this group and are coming back. And, and they, it looks like they've gotten to the point where they're kind of plug and play. They can you know fill in some other guys there and, and be pretty good in terms of individual standouts. I don't think they have a Josh Allen talent, probably not even Jamin Davis talent in terms of first-round draft picks. But you know nobody was saying that about Jamin Davis this right. time of year ago either. 
but you, you look at a guy like Josh Pascal, who's um, on the defensive line. He's shown the potential at times to be a real game changer. And two, he's what two years removed now from treatments for a malignant melanoma, so he's back to 100 percent physically. Uh, he looked great in the first half last season, and then got kind of banged up, and you know the the rigors of an all SEC schedule, and was limited a little bit in the second half. Uh, he's going to be, I think, an all SEC contender for them. DeAndre Square at inside linebacker is really important. Use of Corker at safety. Uh, I don't know if any of those guys are are high level draft picks, but they're all I, I think could be all SEC kind of contenders, and, and then see where it goes from there. When I look at Kentucky's schedule, I mean, it seems pretty favorable. Your two West teams there are uh, LSU and Mississippi State. Those are winnable games, in my opinion. You get Tennessee and Florida at home. I'm going to say you. I'm not saying you. I'm saying right. Uh, I don't want to lump you in with with with, with the. They're not winning many games if they're counting on me to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like the schedule for Kentucky. Yeah, you know, what's if uh, assuming you know the offense is what you, you know, what it can be if 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 it does become a little bit better in the passing game, but it keeps some of that potency in the run game. How good can this Kentucky team be? What, what's the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the ceiling can be this if, if those things work out that we're talking about. If they find a quarterback, if they fill those holes on defense with talented players, if the passing game's competent. One of those years where they take that next step from, you know, maybe not contending for the East because I don't think they're Georgia or Florida by any means, but being that clear third team in the division, um, working into a, a next level kind of role of January 1st and out back of Citrus Bowl kind of thing. Because you're right, the schedule sets up great, not only with the games they have, but the timing. Because that first month, it's Louisiana, Monroe, Missouri, Chattanooga, South Carolina, four winnable games. Then you've got the stretch, Florida, LSU, Georgia in a row. That's going to be difficult, no doubt about it. But if you could steal one of those somehow, you'd be in great shape because then you close with Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, Louisville, all five winnable games. You could start fast. You could end on a really high note, and that could get you to eight or nine wins without really upsetting anybody. So I, I think that if there are questions, no doubt, but this is definitely a team that has the potential to maybe you know have a success level that we haven't seen in Kentucky very often. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good Kentucky team, and like I said at the beginning, that's what I expect. Uh, from the Wildcats this year and, and pretty much every year now under under Mark Stoops. He's done a great job with that program. John Hale from the Courier-Journal, man. Thanks so much for your time. I always appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Robbie, I say it every year. The Kentucky game in the, for, against Mississippi State is the swing game of the season. Mullen was able to consistently go to bowls by winning that game every year. He only lost it, what, one time? One time. One time. And they lost on and... the Peter Sermon year. Yes, which you can you could forgive that almost, and they lost by a field goal. Yeah, uh, and, and, and a field goal that you were like, how did that guy make exactly? That? Now I feel like you know Kentucky's won two of the last three, and this game this year obviously is in Starkville, but I feel like Kentucky could make it three out of four. When we're about to go over their schedule, when you listen to the schedule, Robbie, it's very favorable for Kentucky. They have the they have a, a, a path to nine wins. We'll just have to see if they get there. And as John mentioned, they can start off very fast. This is their first four games. Louisiana Monroe, Missouri, Chattanooga, Ugh. and then they're at South Carolina. They could very easily be 4-0 on September the 25th. Did Dan Mullen make the schedule? Ah, well, you know, just want to play these it's games. It's hard to win. You want to play, yeah, you want to play these games in, uh, you want to play those teams in uh, December and January, not in uh, September and October. UT Chattanooga. You they want to make the show. Chattanooga. They want to make the show. Yeah. I'm going to have them 4-0. University of Missouri. That's a yeah. That's at Kentucky. We got a Bowden at, at Fun Row, right? That's right, Terry and Rich Rod, Rich Rodder there. Yeah, look out. I still am going to take Kentucky. Yoan Monroe beat. Didn't they beat uh, Arkansas or something a few years ago? 
I think that's right. That they played like two or three SEC games of that year. Yeah, but, uh, of course they beat Saban his first year at Alabama. That's right, they did. Uh, that's yeah, where I'm, fun row was developed. I'm going three and zero at least. I'm probably going to go four and zero. I don't yeah, think I mean, South Carolina's going to be South Carolina's going to be any good. No, uh, uh-uh. so four and zero, and then they get Kentucky. I don't know. They get Florida at home, and that is a team that they have. They've kind of they've turned it a little bit here. They beat them in eighteen. And then, Which was hilarious because Dan Mullen always owned Kentucky and Mississippi State. He goes to Florida and loses to him the first at home time in thirty years. And I'm like, uh, and I remember that game because that was the weekend State played Kansas State. So State had just dominated Kansas State. You see Mullen losing this game, and you're just like, I can't wait to play Florida. And of course, how did that turn out? And then you play Kentucky, and, and that yeah, happened. Yeah. And then you played Florida the next exactly. Week. Yeah, I, the, I think as we sit here today, I'm going to take Florida to win, but not going to be surprised if Kentucky finds a way in that game. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Florida looks like this year. Yeah, I think they're going to look more they, like a, a Nick Fitzgerald team because I don't think Emory Jones is the passer. Yeah, they, they've lost some, they've lost some big pieces. Now he's recruited well, mm-hmm. uh, and he he always seems to figure it out at, at the quarterback spot. So I, I'm I'm going to go with Florida too. So we're going to go we're going to say uh, four and one at that four point, and, and then hosted LSU, which is still has That's some question a marks. Winnable football game. I, I'm going to go with LSU. I will too. There, but that's just today. Yeah, it, I that's won't be toss surprised. Up to me. Again, that's that's two toss up games. I think now I think Florida may not be a toss up. Maybe like seventy five twenty five. LSU is more like sixty forty. I don't know what I'm getting at LSU. Yet. Okay, as as we record this, I did not get a chance to hear the interview. Right. So who did who did he say is the starting quarterback? He thinks it's going to be the uh, the grad transfer from Penn State, Levis. Okay. He thinks that's a good that's a good, that the offensive coordinator that they hired has a connection with him, so he's sort of a hand picked kind of guy. Gotcha. So, so they so they don't think it's going to be Gate. He doesn't think it's going to be Gatewood. Okay, so that so, I mean, I guess Gatewood was just a complete bust of a yeah. transfer. The guy they hired, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, came from the LA Rams. So the, more of that, that offense that, that Sean McVay runs, and, and they, they want to pass a lot more. Gotcha. This year. They better start making some major changes on that roster to to pass if they want to. Yeah, that that offensive line is built to run. Yeah, I mean, and, and we saw that goes how that can go. I mean, the, the last three years maybe they've been run heavy. Run, run, run. I mean, I mean, Lynn Bowden came out there and they just ran the Wildcat yeah. the whole game, and then the year before that they had Benny Snell. Yeah, and then last year, I mean, they didn't have like a, a one guy, but between Rodriguez and Cavassier, Smoke and uh, Rose, Rose. Yeah, I mean, they they could run the football. Georgia's a loss. Yes, at Georgia, at, all, at Athens. So we've gotten. Four. I, I think Georgia's a chance to be really good. I, I we'll talk about them another day. But Georgia is my preseason national champion. I, I mean, based on what I saw when JT Daniels came They're in the ball game, good. which I which I was blowing that guy up before the season even started. And people were arguing me about how he was. Oh, I know, I know. But anyway, we'll talk about them another day. So we've got them four and three. Could easily be five and two, but four and three is where they are. And then they play Mississippi State. They haven't been very good in Starkville. Have not. So, I, I'm going to go with win in Starkville, 2000 and they did, they didn't beat Mullen there. I think it's 2006. It was Croom. because there was a year where they they played back to back years where Kentucky when they had Woodson at quarterback was his name Woodson. Well, they beat they won in Lexington in 07. Yes, State they, won in Lexington, so they would have beaten State in 08. Yeah, and then since somewhere State won one of those games against Kentucky at home, didn't they? It was either 06 or 08. It was, it was they didn't 04. lose both of those. Did yeah, they, they did. Did well, they? Because they, they they won in 04. There's a there's a time in here when this is when the SEC for whatever reason. Remember, when State played at Alabama back to back years, 
and they played Kentucky at home back-to-back years, and that's when it went away from evens to odds. So I have to go back and look. But I'm pretty sure – I know I go I, back and look. I know Kentucky won in Starkville in 2008. So that's the last time they won here. Okay. Mullen beat them 10, 12, um, 14, 16. Well, see, not sorry, 14 it was up in Kentucky. Okay, so I, I, I have, the, I have the, uh, okay. the, the list here. So the last time Kentucky won in Starkville uh-huh. was 08. Okay. And they won in 06. 06, so, okay. Yeah, Karoom's first year in 04, State beat them. Yes. Yeah, all right. Yes, 22 to 7. So, as we sit here today, I mean, last year, this I thought even though State didn't play well for weeks, this was really the low point game for Mississippi State a season ago. 24 to 2. Costello played maybe, that might have been his worst game. Uh, a game that defensively you, you did more than enough to win. Well, there was, it was what was so frustrating about that game. We were we watched it from my house, cooked mm-hmm. some chicken, some country poison sauce. Delicious. Um, what was frustrating about that ball game is there were so many opportunities for every time. If you remember, every time State came on the field, okay, okay, here we go. Yeah, because they kept ball. getting stops on defense. Yeah, they throw the interception in the end zone right yeah. before halftime that yeah. just went off of Jaden Wally's hands. Yeah. Osiris Mitchell had a touchdown catch away that from just him. ripped out of his hands. Yeah, that's fourteen Wait, points don't, don't right there. Don't forget they had the uh, was it a safety that had they got taken off the board? Yes, uh, it was Emmanuel Forbes tackled a guy. And yeah, he he hit the guy in the end zone. They said he was. I guess it was either incomplete or they said forward they, they, progress. They called it. I think they called it incomplete. Yeah, something like that. So so they there, had there opportunities. Was, there was plenty of opportunities there. That was so, I mean, that's sixteen points right there. That was off so the board. So let's play the same game we played with Ole Miss. If State's better offensively. And we know that that State can handle Kentucky off defensively. Feels like you should pick State to win. I I was gonna say State wins this game anyway. Okay. Um, I, I don't even think it's a toss up for me just based okay. on just based on history. It's definitely a toss up for me, but I will take Mississippi State today. The, the only reason I say that is, you know, I, I just feel like State has enough pieces returning, and there's not enough that I know about Kentucky offensively and what they're bringing in. Especially with the quarterback that they're bringing in, that I feel like th- they're going to win this ball game. Yeah, okay. So, That's or fair. or that they or that they can. I, I think Mississippi State wins this game. What a roller coaster here! They're four, from four and zero to four and four. Again, they have Dan Mullen chance. made this all, yes. made this thing. They have a chance to finish eight and four because let's look at the final month of the season. So September was great, blue October, and now here we are. Tennessee goes to Kentucky, then they are at Vanderbilt, then New Mexico State comes to Kentucky. And then they go to Louisville. God, they this, schedule, this schedule is is weird. It's it's, yeah. it's really odd. Uh, Tennessee, I don't know what they're going to look like this year. I mean, anytime you have a new coach, it's just you're filling them out. I just feel like they're a team that the portal is hit really hard. They don't know who their quarterback's going to be. This is the time to get them. Yeah, get them all down. I think Kentucky wins that game. They're going to beat Vanderbilt. They'll beat Vanderbilt. They'll beat New Mexico State. And then Louisville was really bad a season ago. Yeah, and Satterfield was like looking for jobs the last week of the season. Don't think he's happy up there. I don't know. It could go either way. It there. is a rivalry game. Um, but I think they're going to at Louisville. I, I think I think they I think Louisville might win that ball okay. game. So I say eight and four, and you're saying seven and five. Yeah. All right. But still, that's a quality season. That's a good season. So, and again, they have some games in here, but with Florida, Florida to a lesser degree, but they're two West teams, LSU and Mississippi State. Those are games that Kentucky could find a way to win. I feel like State and Kentucky are two comparable programs in many ways. So I think that their fan base should be thrilled with 
seven or eight wins and like like we said earlier elevating in a year and just making sure that you're constantly going to a bowl game and you're and and, and you're getting to that bowl game you have a chance to win one more game yeah seven or eight wins if either one of us is right i think that's a good season for kentucky especially this year where it seems kind of like a it's a little bit of a transition a little bit because you got that new quarterback coming in mm-hmm. so anything more than what we predict is is great for stoops i agree i agree Good football talk here in the middle of baseball season. Tomorrow will be all baseball. We'll preview the Super Regional. We'll talk with Patrick Engel of Blue and Gold Illustrated about the Irish, and we'll have all that for you on our Friday podcast. I will not be on Sports Talk Mississippi today, so if you're one of those people who's like, gosh, do I hate Ole Miss people. Don't turn on your radio. Don't turn on the radio today. No, turn it on. They'll be talking a lot of college baseball, a lot of great stuff there. I'll be back on Friday. Richard won't be on, on Friday, so it'll just be me and Borky, which means the show will actually be fun. So turn it on Friday. Yes, don't miss it on Friday. So, Guys, have a great Thursday. We'll be back with you on Friday. For Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.